uh, we're going to be talking about unraveling the truth of divorce. If you have your Bibles, would you took, look with me at Matthew chapter 5? We will deal uh, with the exception clause tonight made by many uh, pastors, preachers, and uh, people within the church. And so we're talking about marriage and divorce tonight. And uh, one of the things, as we understand on marriage and divorce, Marriage is an incredibly important uh, institution that God has created. And as we look at the truths tonight, we'll be in Matthew chapter 5, continuing our study. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, 31 and 32. A little illustration for you. Elizabeth Barrett's father disapproved of her marriage to Robert Browning so strongly that he never forgave her. She wrote letters to her father seeking reconciliation, but he returned the letters unopened. Had he opened them and read the beautiful language she used, he may have forgiven her. We find that the Bible is God's letter to give us reconciliation, yet many people never read it. That comes from Hugh Chisholm uh, there in Encyclopedia Britannica. But as we look tonight in the discussion of marriage and divorce and coming back to the Sermon on the Mount... It is interesting how the Lord Jesus Christ talks about discipleship. I'd like you to follow along with me, Matthew chapter 5, verse 31 and 32, as we read that this evening as our opening passage of Scripture. It hath been said, Whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. But I say unto you that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery. And whosoever shall marry her that is divorced committeth adultery. Now, I'm going to talk about this. I'm not going to be able to get through all of this tonight. It is a lengthy discussion, and I want to deal with it little by little. And as I deal with this, this is something that hits home for so many. You've been affected by it or been a part of it or all sorts of things. And understand this, that I'm not against anyone. I just want to say what God's Word says. That's all my desire is. I started this study back in June of last year. And I didn't want to just approach it in a very casual way. I I labored, I read books, I I just studied. I said, I want to know what God says. And and I just, I struggled with it because there's a part of me, uh, there's certain positions that I wanted to take. But I didn't want to take that position because that's what I wanted. I mean, there was a part of me that said, Lord, I'd sure like it if you would take this particular position. But in this passage of Scripture, in Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount is a focus on discipleship. We deal with, in the first few verses of Matthew 5, he does the Beatitudes, which, again, is a discussion of discipleship. Now, what do I mean by disciple? A disciple is one who is actively... uh, walking after Christ, desiring to follow Christ, to learn from Christ, and to uh, display Christ to the world, to manifest Christ to others. I'm not talking about a person who just professes Christ but doesn't want to live for Christ. Okay, So the entire Sermon on the Mount deals with those who want to show Christ to the world. It's a recipe for success. Now if we look at the outline of the Sermon on the Mount, beginning in verse 21... So we've gone through the Beatitudes, you get to verse 21, and the ver- in verses 21 through 26, this is just a little bit of review from last week, 
Jesus deals with forgiveness and reconciliation. He says that whosoever, verse 22, but I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. Whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council, but whosoever shall say, Thou fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath aught against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. So Jesus is here saying, he says, if, you have an, if you've offended someone, or you know uh, or you've offended them, or they've offended you, and you haven't forgiven them, Jesus says, listen, don't bring any gifts, don't try to serve me until you make it right with the person to whom you've wronged, or forgive the person who's wronged you. So in this forgiveness and reconciliation, is a believer, does God believe that we are to forgive? Yes or no? Yes. So in this whole idea of divorce, there's oftentimes things that occur in a marriage that are very hurtful. But does God call us to forgive? Yes. I'm not saying that we necessarily, that an individual, if they're in an abusive relationship, they necessarily stay in the abuse. They can separate. But I'm not saying they're going through divorce. Okay, I'm getting here. I'm, I'm, I'm working up here, okay? So I'm laying some foundational truths here. Does God believe in forgiveness? Yes or no? Yes. Okay? So, do I have any reason to withhold forgiveness from someone? Yes or no? No. Okay, number two. Jesus here deals with, 27 and 28, You have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you, that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. So wrong thoughts equals adultery. Wrong thoughts are leading me from away from the thoughts for the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm, I'm cheating on the Lord. And if you're married, you're cheating on your spouse with your thought life. In addition, verses 29 through 30, he says, if, and here he's saying, if there's anything in your life, he says, cast it from you. If it's a part of your body, cut it off. He's not talking about literally cutting it off, but he's saying if there's something in your life that's causing you to stumble, get rid of it. So if there's something in a marriage that's creating this discord, this distrust, he says get rid of that object or that thing that is creating. If hobbies or other things are creating that unrest in the marriage, you need to get rid of it. He comes to verse 31 and 32. Then, look with me right after Jesus talks about divorce and remar- the divorce and adultery and fornication. Look with me verse 33. And again, you have heard that it been said by them of old time, thou shalt not forswear thyself, but thou shalt perform unto the Lord thine oaths. He says, listen, be a man or woman of your oath. If you make a commitment till death do us part, then till death do you part. This is what Jesus is saying. Isn't it interesting that he starts off the discussion with forgiveness and reconciliation. He deals with our thought lives. He deals with anything in our life that's creating, that's causing some real problems. Then he comes to marriage. And then right after he deals with marriage, he deals with be a person of your oath. Be a person whose, whose word means something. Numbers chapter 30, verse 2. If a man vow a vow unto the Lord or swear an oath to bind his soul with a bond, he shall not break his word. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, five verses 4 through 6. Look with me, Ecclesiastes 5, 4 through 6. I just want to pick this back up and hope I have enough time tonight to get through this, but 
I, I, well, I went a little bit quickly through this last week. But this passage of Scripture gives us exactly what happens when we go into divorce. Should an individual go into divorce? Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 4 through 6. When thou vowest a vow unto the Lord, defer not to pay it, for he hath no pleasure in fools. Pay that which thou hast vowed. Behold, be better is it that thou shouldest not vow, than that thou shouldest vow and not pay. Suffer thy mouth to cause thy flesh to sin, neither say thou before the angel that it was an heir. Wherefore should God be angry at thy voice, and destroy the work of thine hands? What happens when someone goes through a divorce proceedings? There is a splitting of goods. There's a splitting of house and, and assets and all sorts of things. Destroy the work of thine hands. God says, you make a vow, you don't pay it, you're going to have to destroy the work of your hands. And you find that within marriage, as you, as you go, not marriage, but within divorce. You go through the courts and they split the things up, they split the, uh, you know, they split the bank accounts, and there's separations of good. There's a destruction. I mean, God says, listen. I mean, we find this all the time. God makes a statement, God makes a promise, and it comes true. Now look with me next. Matthew chapter 5, 38. You have heard, uh, you have heard that it hath been said, of, been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you that you resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if any man will sue thee at the law, and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. You have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them despite the use you and persecute you. In the marriage relationship, how often is there, I'm going to get even, I'm going to go through this divorce, and I'm going to make you pay for it. But Jesus is saying that's not how we deal with it. If they want to take the coat, let them have the coat. Isn't it amazing, as Jesus puts this all together, you think about this sandwich together of this idea of ultimately forgiveness. He says if they're an enemy, love, bless, pray. Isn't that oftentimes what happens in divorce? There's a little, I mean, and then the children are pulled back and forth between parents in an awful situation. And Jesus is saying, listen, be a person of your word. Forgive. So is the mar- in, in marriage... Is that the creation of one flesh? We know that from Genesis 2.24. Is the breaking apart of one flesh ultimately an act of unforgiveness? Yes. Because there's irreconcilable differences, and you say, I can no longer stay with this person. Now, you can separate for the sake of your own safety if, if the person is, and you need to. If they're hurting the child or they're hurting you, you need to leave. And just pray that God gets a hold of that partner. But if there is infidelity in the marriage, does this break the command on our thought life? Yes. If you think about the verses 27 and 28, was I wrong to have allowed my thoughts to go unchecked and not remove the stumbling blocks if that's involved in someone who's saying, I want divorce? Yes. Verses 29 and 30, is remarriage a breaking of your vows, your covenant to your first spouse who's still living? Yes. Verses 33 through 37, am I returning an eye for an eye trying to get even? Yes. Verses 38 through 42. Will a divorce make you stand out as a light to the world? Verses 43 through 48. How do I bless the one cursing me? How do I pray for the one persecuting me? In light of these, divorce, in light of these verses is divorce unforgiveness. It's in light of this idea tonight I want us to look at the word of God. 
We have to let God's word be our guide, not our emotions and not our circumstances. Jesus Christ is sweeter than anyone can describe. He is worth the challenges we may face. And may we let God's word show us true biblical marriage and agree with what God says. Let's go to the Lord and ask for his blessing tonight. And again, I want to make it certain I'm not against anyone. But as I studied this, I was like, oh my Lord. Because divorce is ultimately an act of unforgiveness. God has said you need to forgive. So as I'm proceeding forward with something, I'm not saying you have to stay in an abusive situation if that's the cause. Don't. But you don't go through with the proceedings. I'll talk more on that. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. We thank you for your grace. Father, the word of God is in complete contrast to the ideas of this world. Father, I ask for wisdom to preach your holy word. I need your help. Father, I don't want to speak that which I ought not to. And Lord, may you be glorified and praised. I pray, Father, we would get a biblical conviction on marriage, on divorce, and what you call truth. Jesus, I sure love you and thank you for your, the grace that you bestowed upon us, Father. We are so unworthy. Lord, we're so unworthy of the forgiveness you've given to us. And yet, Lord, in your, in, yet in your forgiveness, you went to the cross and died for me and for each and every person here. Lord, we're not worthy. May we understand how much you love us. And so, Lord, I commit tonight to you. Use me as your vessel. In the precious name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. The foundation of marriage, I spoke about that last week, that marriage was instituted by God. It's a, it's a relationship that binds a couple until death. Till death do us part, Mark chapter 10, verse 9. What therefore God that joined together, let not man put asunder. The forsaking of marriage is the very essence. We cannot forget this idea. In Luke chapter 9, verse 23, And he said to them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. The essence of the Christian life is it's not my rights. It's not about me. It's a denial of myself for Jesus Christ. It's all about Jesus. Follow him every step of the way. We have to forsake a Western thinking. We have to forsake a cultural thinking of the defense of self, and I'm going to get even. We cannot give in to the culture or popular Christian sentiments, but rather God's inspired word. I want to ask you tonight, are there any exceptions that God allows for divorce? And if he allows divorce, are there any exceptions allowed for remarriage? I will not be able to get to that tonight. I will speak about that next week. If my spouse cheats on me, am I free to divorce them? The often common thinking is, Pastor, isn't sexual promiscuity outside of my wedding vows, fornication, and thereby allowed by Jesus? If my spouse has sexual relations with someone outside of marriage, then I can divorce them. Is that, that's the common thought. 
But didn't Jesus give permission, you know, another thought, didn't Jesus give permission through quoting Moses for the disillusion, for the ending of marriage and the subsequent remarriages? Didn't he do that? Now, I want to understand this tonight, and, and I want to deal with this. I am, I'm not, there are those, we've all gone through our lives, we've all made mistakes. I'm not against anyone who's divorced. I'm not against them. We've all have areas in our lives where there's things that we, can, we, could, we should have done when we were younger. We, I want you to think about this, understand this. Jesus went to the Samaritan woman. He says, you've been married five times. The man you're with, he's not your husband. Jesus was very gentle and compassionate. Jesus, Joseph, was going to put away Mary. In Matthew 1.19, then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. Mary, Jesus' mother, comes to Joseph and says, listen, I'm pregnant. What? Said he was going to put her away. In John chapter 8, the Pharisees bring to them a woman caught in the very act of adultery. I mean, the very act. I don't know why they didn't bring the man in this, John chapter 8. Jesus writes on the ground, it's thought that perhaps these Pharisees, they themselves were divorced themselves, but Jesus writes in the dirt, whatever he wrote, we don't know, scripture doesn't tell us, but Jesus says, he that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And then he tells her, in verse 10 of John 8, woman, where are thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? And she said, no man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, neither do I condemn thee, go and sin no more. So Jesus is harder on religious pride than he was on her sexual sin. Understand this, okay? So I'm just laying some foundation. But we cannot have an, ex- we can't accept what culture and mainstream Christianity uh, accepts if it's in contrast with the word of God. Would you like you to look with me? We're going to look at several things here. What did God, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, Now, as you're turning there, I also want you to think about this idea. What did God do when Adam and Eve committed spiritual whoredom, spiritual adultery with the devil, and they ate the fruit? What did Jesus, what did God do? He killed an animal and reconciled the relationship. I want you to remember that. Keep that in the back of your mind. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, And unto the married I command, yet not I, but the Lord... Let not the wife depart from her husband, but in if she depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband, and let not the husband put away his wife. This is what Jesus says, don't divorce. God says, reconcile. The two options are reconcile or remain unmarried. But pastor, if my spouse cheats on me with someone else, am I free to divorce them? Keep that thought. God did tell us, 2 Corinthians 6, 14, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? First of all, when we marry, we're not to marry an unbeliever. If you're a Christian, you are not to marry an unbeliever. Now, there are situations where people get out of the will of God, they marry, uh, then don't divorce. And the Bible will tell us this. If you've married an unbeliever, or you got saved during your marriage to an unbeliever, what is God's command? Look with me, verse 12. Now, 1 Corinthians 7, But to the rest speak I, not the Lord. If any brother hath a wife that believeth not, 
and she be pleased to dwell with him, let him not put her away. He says, don't divorce her just because she's an unbeliever. And the woman which hath an husband that believeth not, and if he be pleased to dwell with her, let her not leave him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Else were your children unclean, but now are they holy. God says, listen, stay married. Verse 15. But if the unbelieving depart, let him depart. A brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God hath called us a peace. Now, what does this verse 15 here teach? I, I like the commentary. Bruce Lackey says, he says, simply put, when the unbeliever leaves, when the spouse leaves, you have no further responsibility to be the proper wife or husband to the departed one. You don't have to fulfill your marital duties if they leave. That's all he's saying. He's not saying remarry, he's just saying you are no longer obligated to fulfill as a husband to protect because if they've left. Verse 11 tells us here in 1 Corinthians 7, 11, remain unmarried or be reconciled. Now this seems difficult, it may seem harsh for God to make such a command, but there are many passages of scripture that we follow the Savior, we're going to have to, where there may be some discomfort. 2 Corinthians 12 tells us this. Therefore, I take pleasures in infirmities and reproaches. 2 Corinthians 12, that's verse uh, 10, a portion of that. But you can look at verses 7 through 10 for context. Now, the Lord has always given an individual if their spouse dies. God has always given provision to remarry. Verse 39, 1 Corinthians 7, 39, the wife is bound by the law as long as her husband liveth. But if her husband be dead, she is at liberty to be married to whom she will, only in the Lord. God is always allowed. If a spouse dies, then you're no, you can remarry. God very clearly tells us that. Now, let's come back to this idea. Let's look, turn with me to Matthew 19. This is the other passage where there's these two exception clauses. They're only, we find them in Matthew, and then you would find them also in Deuteronomy 24. I want you to, I want to deal with these exceptions now. I've just laid some uh, foundation of what we find later on in the scriptures in what is the church, you know, if you think about it, the dispensation of the local church, but uh, Matthew 19, 3 through 10, as well as uh, Matthew 5, 31 and 32. So I'm going to read verses 3 through 10 uh, for context tonight. I'm about halfway through my notes for this evening. Uh, Matthew 19, verse 3. The Pharisees also came unto him, tempting him, and saying to him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? He answered and said unto them, Have ye not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female, and said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. Wherefore they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. They say unto him, Why did Moses then command to give a writing of divorcement and to put her away? He saith unto him, Moses, because of the hardness of your heart, suffered you to put away your wives. But from the beginning it was not so. And I say unto you, Whosoever shall put away his wife, except to be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery. And whoso marrieth her which is put away, doth commit adultery. His disciples say unto them, if the case of the man be so with his wife, it is not good to marry. And then Jesus goes on to deal with this. But Matthew is a book that is particularly written to the Jews who are under the law. Now, understand this. God has permitted things he has not commanded or desires. Right? The Israelites, God allowed the kings of Israel, 
Some, most of them would have multiple wives. God never, that was never God's desire, but he still allowed them to reign. We also find something in the Old Testament law that God's requirements for worship changed. I'd like you to turn with me. We're going to look at Deuteronomy chapter 24. And this is the passage Matthew 19 as well as Matthew 5 is dealing with. Deuteronomy chapter 24. This is what Jesus is uh, referencing. But Jesus, he says, that's not from the beginning. That's not so. God says, God made them one flesh, one body. Husband and wife, they come together. They're one flesh. The special, the most intimate of all relationships on earth is that marriage relationship. It's special. Deuteronomy 24. The permission that we see here with Moses, we only find in the dispensation of the law. To prove this point, let's look at Deuteronomy 24. When a man had taken a wife and married her, and it come to pass that she find no favor in his eyes, because... So this is Moses talking to the Israelites under the Mosaic law, under the law of the Jewish people. And that she find no favor in his eyes because he hath found some uncleanness in her, then let him write her a bill of divorcement and give it in her hand and send her out of his house. And when she is departed out of his house, she may go and be another man's wife. And if the latter husband hate her and write her a bill of divorcement and give it in her hand and sendeth her out of the house, or if the latter husband die, which took her to be his wife, her former husband, which sent her away, may not take her again to be his wife. After that, she is defiled. For that is abomination for the Lord, and thou shalt not cause the land to sin, which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance. Now, look with me. We find this is what he's saying. Now, if you want it, this is all, and this is under the Mosaic law, the Jewish laws. Look with me at chapter 23, verse 1. He that is wounded in the stones, this would be, uh, male reproductive organs, or hath his privy members cut off, shall not enter in the congregation of the Lord. How often do we say someone cannot become a church member because they've got physical damage to their reproductive organs? Do we talk about that? No. Right? This is for the Jewish people. This is for those who are priests. And, and it says, and then it also goes on to say, Verse 2 of Deuteronomy 23, A bastard shall not enter into the congregation of the Lord, even to his tenth generation shall he not enter into the congregation of the Lord. So this is a person that's saying they're born out of wedlock, they're not able to enter into the congregation of the Lord. That's Jewish. That's not for the present day. These were temporary. The Bible tells us, and then you look at verse 3, An Ammonite or a Moabite shall not enter the congregation. The Mosaic law is not binding to us today. Moses was giving something, and I'm going to deal with this here in just a little bit further, but I'm just saying here, that as we look at this, we're not talking about this kind of stuff. You can't come, you know, if we said you can't come into church, if there's physiological damage, we can't say you, you come into the church if, if your parents conceived you, that would, I mean, that would be mind-boggling. That's not what God said. He didn't say that at all. This is for the Jewish people. It's entering into the temple. It's entering in, you know, there in the priesthood and these kinds of things. But if you've professed your faith in Jesus Christ, we're all priests. We're all a priest. You know Jesus Christ is your personal Lord and Savior. 
So what is spoken in Deuteronomy 24 and what Jesus speaks about in Matthew chapter 19 and Matthew chapter 5, he's talking to the Jewish people. Jesus enters humanity under the time of the law. He's not entering through the church age, though he did start the church. Now, how do we examine Deuteronomy 24? In Matthew 19.8, Moses said, Because of the hardness of your hearts, suffered you to put away your wives. And the understanding here is, Moses, what God may have permitted for the Jewish people, was not God's desires or plans. Not only does the original institution of marriage, as recorded by Moses, excuse me, in Genesis 2.24, set forth the perpetuity of the bond, verses plainly set before us, uh, intimate that divorce, while tolerated for the time, contravenes the order of the nature of God. What I'm saying is that divorce breaks God's plan for life. And our Lord, when speaking according to the spirit of the law of Moses, when he declared, Whoso marrieth her which is put away doth commit adultery. He said that there in Matthew 19.9. In Malachi chapter 2, verses 14 through 16, the Jewish people, much like we find in our days, I mean, it's kind of like this idea we find in the courts, a no-fault divorce, well, he doesn't please me, she doesn't please me, I'm going to send them packing. And God has a great condemnation for it in Malachi chapter 2, verses 14 through 16. Now let's look at me here. This is a very important passage of Scripture. All of Scripture is important. Malachi chapter 2, verse 14. Can I tell you, on this whole idea of divorce and remarriage, from my personal Desires, I thought, Lord, please allow for an exception because there's some really bad situations for marriage. There's some people that go through some really hard times. Lord, please. That's my desire. And I wanted it. And I said, Lord, can I not see the scripture that way? And I studied and I studied and I studied. And I, I'm like, Lord, there's no exception. In Malachi chapter 2, verse 14, Yet ye say, wherefore, because the Lord hath been witness between thee and the wife of thy youth, against whom thou hast dealt treacherously, yet is she thy companion, and here's the key, and the wife of thy covenant. For the Lord, the God of Israel, saith he that he hateth putting away. It's a covenant before God. When you say, I do, you're making a promise before God. Moses, and the permissions that he would give was to mitigate an evil which could not be done with. But for the first 1,500 years of Christians from the time of Christ, they understood that only death dissolves a marriage. And Jesus clearly spoke an exception, fornication, which all knew and understood prior to Erasmus, that fornication is not something that can ever be committed after marriage. After marriage, if someone has sex outside of marriage, it's called adultery. It's not called fornication. Matthew 5 and Matthew 19, when he says fornication and adultery, they're two distinct Greek words. They're not alike. Adultery, and you think about it in the Old Testament times, 
Jesus spoke that all those who divorce and remarry while their covenant spouse is still alive, they commit adultery. And it needs to be repented and forsaken. Divorce is an act of unforgiveness. To think that there is a sin that justifies unforgiving bitterness and hate and promotes, and promotes this moving forward, and many pastors have an exception clause. But Jesus here... When he states in Matthew 5.32, adultery and fornication, they are two distinct Greek words. Now we understand, oftentimes we say fornication is all sex outside of marriage. But adultery is always... <laughs> you find the Matthew passage talking about whosoever thinketh upon a woman you know, committeth less adultery with her already in his heart. There's a spiritual adultery, but then we find there's a physical adultery... If you're married and you're having relations with someone that's not your spouse, then you're committing adultery. We find this also in Mark chapter 7. Notice with me, Mark chapter 7, 21 and 22. I want to show you this. There is a, a distinction of adultery and fornication. It is different. They're not the same words. That's why he's making, that's why he says fornication and he says adultery. Because if he said, for the cause of adultery, you can remarry, then he, Jesus would, use the, he would have said specifically adultery. But he said fornication. And I want to explain that idea of fornication from a historical perspective and a scriptural perspective. Mark chapter 7, 21 and 22. Just to show you again, scripture, and I studied this in, in various passages of scripture, verse 21 of Mark 7, for from without, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications. There's again a difference in thought. Also recall in Jeremiah chapter 3 that the Lord called for repentance Even though Israel was a spiritual whore, they were, they were in spiritual idolatry, they were in spiritual adultery against God. He says, Thou hast played the harlot with many lovers, yet return again to me, saith the Lord. Jesus says, Israel, you've cheated on me with the idols of this world, but I still want you. It's amazing that Christ... In Deuteronomy chapter 24, that he deals with God's decree of marriage, that marriage is permanent. We also find here, the word fornication is pornea, much like you'd have in pornography, pornea. And it is, in Matthew 19, 9, Whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery. And whosoever shall marry her that is divorced, committeth adultery. The purpose of the book of Matthew is to point the Jewish people that Jesus is the king of the Jews. Some have claimed that fornication and adultery are, uh, that's the means, right? That's the same. And upon these grounds that I can get divorced. But this is not the position of early church believers. The view of adultery as a cause for, for, as a cause for divorce was perpetuated by Erasmus in the, year, in the 1500s. Made popular by Charles V of France, Henry VIII of England who wanted to marry, divorce his wife Catherine and marry Anne Boleyn. 
And that all started the Anglican Church there in the 1500s. Because Henry VIII, who was the head of the the Anglican Church, he said, I want to marry her. The Catholic Church won't let me, so I'm going to start a whole new religion. And he adopted a lot of the Catholic views. But the word pornea here does not refer to adultery. It is distinct. Adultery in the Jewish culture was settled. Adultery was not settled by divorce. The adulterer was settled by death. Now we do find the occasion of David. And God did heavily judge David for his adulterous affair with Bathsheba. Leviticus chapter 20, verse 10, And the man that committeth adultery with another man's wife, even he that committeth adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress, shall surely be put to death. So what does this word fornication? I want you to look with me at Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. Mark and Luke are directed, are targeted toward Gentile believers, those who are not understanding the world from a Jewish law standpoint. That's to whom they're directed. In Mark chapter 10, we do not find this exception clause listed. Mark chapter 10, verse 2. The Pharisees came to him and asked him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife, tempting him? And he answered and said unto them, What did Moses command you? And they said, Moses suffered to write a bill of divorcement and to put her away. And Jesus answered and said unto them, For the hardness of your heart he wrote you this precept, but from the beginning of creation God made them male and female. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. And they twain shall be one flesh. So then they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. And the house of his disciples asked him again of the same matter. Luke 16, 18, look with me here. Another uh, synoptic gospel, they're right, synonymous. There's a lot of truths here, Luke 16, 18. Understanding the, the audience to whom these epistles, these letters are directed, it gives us great truths. Because God is saying, listen, forgiveness is needed. Jesus endured unbelievable hardships, persecution, ridicule, isolation, loneliness, desolation. I mean, you name it, he has suffered it. And he said, still, Father, forgive them. Luke 16, 18, Whosoever putteth away his wife and marrieth another committeth adultery, and whosoever marrieth her that is put away from her husband committeth adultery. Mark and Luke are targeted to Gentile believers. Book of Matthew also makes no mention of putting the husband away. It's not talking about a wife putting the husband away because in the Jewish culture they never did this. A wife would never put away her husband in the Jewish culture. Jewish wives did not do this unlike in the Greek and Roman wives. The Greek and Roman wives would put away their husbands. The word pornea, there's several things that this refers to, three key exceptions that the Jews would understand on the use of the word pornea or fornication. Number one, Rod Mattoon, he says, in Jewish society, once a couple exchange gals uh, gifts to be betrothed, so once you're engaged, the contract to be married was binding. Usually a year was spent preparing for the actual wedding. The marriage was consummated on the first night of the wedding feast. During this one-year engagement or betrothal period, if unfaithfulness or sexual uncleanness was discovered, the contract would be broken with a bill of divorcement. If it was discovered on the wedding night that the wife was not a virgin, the covenant was considered fraudulent and could could be broken. 
And that's why in Matthew 1.19, with Joseph and Mary, Joseph was going to put her away. The number two, the Jewish society would understand it, that if you were going to marry someone, and then you, as you were in this betrothal period, you'd say, hey, we're related. Right? If we're cousins or something, we find out, hey, I didn't know this. I found out that so-and-so is my cousin. Then the Bible's telling us, you know, in Luke, Leviticus 18, it says, none of you shall approach to any that is near of kin to him to uncover their nakedness. I am the Lord. He says, you can't uncover the nakedness of your father, your mother, your father's wife, your sister, your daughter, uh, of mother or father, your son's daughter, like your grandchild, your daughter's daughter, sibling, half-sibling, aunt, uncle, daughter-in-law, brother's wife, a woman and her daughter, nor a woman's son's daughter. He says, listen, if you find out that they're related to you, don't marry them. You can break it off, right? Break off that betrothal period. And number three, the word pornea in Jewish culture also referred to homosexual marriages. And if you have entered into this relation, it's not a marriage, but if you enter it, Leviticus 18.22, thou shalt not lie with mankind as with womankind, it is abomination. Romans 1 talks about this. Sodomite marriages would not be able to fulfill God's design seen in Adam and Eve. God says that if you are in such a relationship before the law, he says dissolve it. Now, if an individual has suffered a divorce and remarried another person that is of the opposite sex, not an incestuous relationship, God says don't terminate your marriage. Stay married. Stay faithful. Serve the Lord with your partner. And I will talk more about this because there are divergent views on this and I think some are way out there. There's limitations. But understand this. Whether you're divorced or not, whether you're married or not, God still has a plan for your life. Does God hate divorce? Yes. As I come to the conclusion, if you're married, 1 Corinthians 7, don't divorce. If you're separated, seek for reconciliation. For those who are divorced, the Bible mentions in Matthew 19. Look with me here again. I mean, right after, it's amazing what the Lord does for us. Matthew 19. This is one of those topics. (laughs) Sometimes I said, Lord, I'd sure like to skip over that as I'm going through the Sermon on the Mount and just preaching verse by verse through Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, I said, Lord, I'd really like to jump over that. But I can't do that. In Matthew chapter 19, verse 11, but he said unto them, he's talking about marriage and divorce, he's talking about this, right, in verses 8 and 9. Let's look at this. I want, I want you to see this, verse 7 of Matthew 19. They say unto him, why... Uh, did Moses then command to give a writing of divorcement and to put her away? He saith unto them, Moses, because of the hardness of your heart, suffered you to put away your wives. But from the beginning it was not so. And I say unto you, whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication. I just listed the three ways. And shall marry another, committeth adultery. And whoso marrieth her, which is put away, doth commit adultery. His disciples say unto him, If the case of the man be so with his wife, it is not good to marry. But he said unto them, All men cannot receive this saying, save they to whom it is given. For there are some eunuchs which were so born from their mother's womb, and there are some eunuchs which were made eunuchs of men. And there be eunuchs which have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sakes. He that is able to receive it, let him receive it. 
right after he says about marriage and divorce and who's, you know, often in this whole thing that he gives, and I've dealt with the fornication there and the adultery are completely different, he says, listen, if you're divorced and your spouse is living, stay unmarried. Serve God. That's what God tells us to do. Right after he deals with it, he said, for the kingdom of heaven's sake, I want to serve God. I know God hates divorce, and I'm just going to serve God. If my spouse dies, then I can remarry. As you think upon these truths, as an illustration, because ultimately, as we dealt with Matthew 5 and this idea of, of discipleship, it's all about Jesus. It's not about my desires, it's not my emotions, it's not my circumstances. So often, we say, well, they hurt me, and now I need to react. They've done this, or these horrific incidents happen, so now I need to respond. As I tell you, the Word of God is for all aspects and parts of our lives. Because it's not about me, it's about Jesus Christ. I want to read you a beautiful illustration here. It was 1898, and Ben had left the East eight years ago to head out West in hopes of making his fortune. Well, he wasn't rich, but he'd accumulated over 300 acres of good land and built a comfortable farmhouse on it. He raised wheat, corn, and all of his vegetables. He had managed to build his herd of cattle over 200 head. Having accomplished all of this in only eight years, he decided that it was now time. The ad that he placed in the New York newspaper said, Wanted, a good woman willing to be a pen pal. Marriage is a possibility for the right woman. That was the ad that he put out. Interesting, okay. Before long, he began receiving letters from Molly. Their correspondence soon turned into love for each other. Now, here he stood in the Kansas City train station, waiting to finally meet her. When the train arrived, there was a lot of women getting off. Suddenly, he yelled, Molly, over here! She looked his way walked over him, smiled, and held out her hand. He took it for a moment, then let it go. She said, how did you know who I was? He then reached into his back pocket and his overalls and said, from these here letters. She said, but there's no pictures in them. He dropped his head a bit and said, oh yes, there are. There are lots of pictures in your words, you see. He had spent hours reading every word, looking for every little clue that would tell him who Molly really was. He had fallen in love with her words, words that had painted her portrait. God's precious word paints a vivid portrait of who he is. We as his bride should fall in love with his word so that we can then fall in love with its author. As Jesus deals with Matthew 19, Matthew 5, it's ultimately an act of the heart. Am I going to forgive? Am I going to deal with my thoughts? Am I going to be kind to my enemies? Am I going to be a person of my oath, my covenant, my promises? Because I love Jesus more than I love myself. This is the context of this whole idea of marriage and divorce. Do I love Jesus more than I love myself? Next week I'll look at some other things on this. But I trust tonight as we deal with this, and it's not always the most comfortable, it's definitely not popular, 
But to follow Jesus is to say no to this world. But if you've, but if you know Jesus, and you spend time in his word, you realize how beautiful he really is. How wonderful Christ is and how he's worth it. You're worth it. And you know what? We've all made mistakes. Christ forgives it. But I can't accept what culture says is right. I can't accept what mainstream people may think just because the mainstream, the crowd is saying it's appropriate. I'm going to say, what does God think? This is where discipleship comes in. I'm going to follow what Jesus says, no matter what anyone else says. Because Jesus is worth it. If I can have Miss Pat come forward this evening. If you have questions, if you're uncertain of what I'm meaning by anything, please, 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 please ask. I don't want you to say, I don't quite understand it, Pastor. If you don't understand, please ask. But this is important. Because it ultimately comes down to a position of our heart before God. Do I want to please Him? I want to understand. Do I want to know him? Do I want to serve him? You know what? If we're willing to do what God wants us to do, my friend, we can have the hand of God, the protection of God upon our lives. As the music plays, I, I would just trust that however, whatever I may have said this evening, that the Spirit of God may have spoken to your heart, I, I just pray that you'd pray and talk with the Lord now. A time to pray, an invitation period. You're welcome to come up front and pray if you'd like. But God is serious about the institution of marriage. Our society is seeing marriages, professing Christians divorcing. And if Christians who have the hope and the light are divorcing, what's the world to think? God has created something to have a help me to walk with us through life. We have a Savior that we can always go to and find healing and hope for life. First question I want to ask you tonight is, do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Is there ever a time in your life, by simple faith, you called out to Jesus and said, forgive me of my sins and let me be your child right now. I trust that Jesus died on the cross for all that I've done. Unraveling the truth of marriage and divorce. I trust that we would have a, a biblical perspective. As the, marriage, as the music will come to a close here shortly, please, if you do have questions, if you have disagreements, I don't mind sitting down and talking about God's Word. I'm not against anyone. You know, if we all want to serve Christ, maybe serve Him with all of our hearts. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I do thank you for this day. I thank you for the clarity of your word. Father, I pray that I was not in anything I said tonight offensive unnecessarily. Lord, I pray that we would have a biblical view of the very institution that is so close to our hearts. And Lord, we'd honor you with our lives. No matter where we've been, no matter what we've done, Lord, that we would just get close to that cross, get close to thee, 
Lord, live our lives in the beauty of your grace and your compassion. I love you and thank you for this evening. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen. God bless.